Uh, turn tonight, please, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Sometimes, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we've observed the Lord's table, but traditionally, the attendance is down considerably, and I would prefer to do that when I didn't know that was happening. And Finally, just decided to go ahead and continue on with our study in 1 Corinthians. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's read the first five <clears throat> verses this evening. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for giving to us your words, and I pray, of course, that I would understand them and deliver them faithfully and that we would receive them as your words and that we would do that which we are instructed to do. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to direct your attention back <clears throat> briefly to chapter 3, at which it might appear that Paul has concluded what he wants to say to these folks. And of course, he has started this church and therefore... These, and, and these are his converts, and, and I want to be very careful in putting it that way because Paul would certainly take exception to that. But as we would think of them, these are people that came to faith under Paul's ministry, and certainly Apollos had a significant ministry in Corinth. Um, and yet the church is very divided, and it is divided over whether guys like Paul and Apollos, which one of them is the better guy? Who has the superior ministry? And uh, so some people were claiming to be out of Paul and some out of Apollos, and this was a source of division. And it is right there at the very outset of his letter that Paul wades into that. And he laments the fact that they are divided, and he attributes their division to their worldly wisdom, which he attributes to their carnality. They are thinking like lost people about the Lord's service. And so he has dealt with that pretty thoroughly and pretty extensively. And we have then in verse 21, 22, and 23, this really this what we recognize to be a doxology, something that Paul uses periodically to conclude a thought. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death 
or things present or things to come, all are yours and you're Christ's and Christ is God's. Right? It is wrong to make erroneous distinctions between men like Paul and Apollos since we're all, we all belong together. And ultimately the great casualty is the Lord because everybody is the Lord's worker and the Lord is the one who is doing the work. But actually Paul is not concluded what he has to say to them. And he continues on into what to us is, what to us is chapter number 4 in which Paul will conclude by being very pointed with the Corinthians. And, you know, so that, so that they should grasp, and we will get to this, there, there are parts of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that are written deliberately to wound and to sting the consciences of the Corinthians. But he is not there yet. And these five verses, then, that we looked at this evening are instructive in nature. But it is continuing on in the same line. The divisions that exist over men like Paul and Apollos that are anchored in their worldly thinking that is a consequence of their carnality, their spiritual immaturity, um, And of course, well, maybe not of course, but as we work our way through chapter 4, Paul will add to that this, that this is compounded by the fact that they don't necessarily recognize their spiritual immaturity. You know, sometimes children know they're children, and sometimes children think they're not children, and that's where the real problem come in. So anyway... Back to verses 1 through 5. Paul begins, right? This is instructive in nature. Paul instructs them how to think about men like himself and Apollos. And I keep using Paul and Apollos because Paul will, in verse number 6, he will confine himself to Paul and Apollos. He began by including Peter and even Jesus, but he really is dealing primarily with himself and Apollos. So let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Rather than think of them as the source of their spiritual well-being, which is what they're doing. I am, when, when, when our King James Bible says something like, I am of Paul, what it means is, I am out of Paul. Um, right? Sometimes you hear, you'll hear new converts talk that way, that so-and-so saved them. The person that's told by Christ, well, he saved me. So rather than think of men like Paul and Apollos as the source of their spiritual well-being, they are rather, the word so refers to, means to in this manner or in this way. Think of men like Paul and Apollos in this way. And the word account is one of those Greek words that we kind of know because we use it a lot in English. It's the word that gives us logic. It's, it's a verb form of the word. So here's how you should think of us. You should do the calculations mentally 
You should do the computations mentally, not math, but mentally. That rather than being the source of your spiritual well-being, we are simply servants. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. And a lot of times in the New Testament, probably most times in the New Testament, the word servant is the idea of slave or bond slave. One who is owned outright by a master. But that is not the word that is used here. It is actually a word that refers to somebody who is a subordinate. You've probably heard it put this way. It was the way it was used in Paul's world. An under rower. The Romans, of course, like all Mediterranean peoples, were ocean-going people. And boats were propelled by genuine manpower. And so people would be put in the boat, down in the belly of the boat, to row. And there was somebody who called out the cadence so that everybody rowed a road, R-O-W-E-D, <clears throat> in synchronization. And they were under rowers. They were subordinates. In Matthew 5.25, the word is, is translated as the word officer. Jesus said, get things resolved before you are taken to the officer. The judge deliver thee to the officer. So Paul says, here's how I want you to think of us. Not as the source of your... Not as a source of your spiritual life, not as a source of your spiritual well-being, but think of us as subordinates. We, we are people who are under authority. We have been given instruction. And then he says to think of us as stewards. And here's another word that we really pretty much take right out of the Greek language and we use on a regular basis because it is the word economics. The law of the house. That's what economics means. It means the house rules. Right? What, are the, what are the rules by which we're going to operate? This is an economy or economics. And we then are stewards of God's mysteries, things that God knows that he makes known to us. Both of the words that Paul used portray God's spiritual leaders because this is how the Corinthians are looking at them. They are, they are elevating them way up here. I am of Paul. Well, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm, of, I'm of Apollos. And Paul says, well, but what we are are servants. We're subordinates. And what we are are stewards. We have been entrusted with something that doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the owner, and we have been given the task of dealing with it. We are under his authority. We are entrusted with his mysteries. We have been given an assigned duty. So in other words, folks, here's what we never want to do. We don't want to do this about any pastor, whether it be a local church pastor that God has for you, a guy like me, or whether it be a man of, that the Lord has used tremendously, like John MacArthur or D.L. Moody, 
um, although he was not a New Testament pastor um, or some prominent pastor, never should they be thought of as some kind of celebrity. And neither should they ever be thought of as being the source of your spiritual life. They are but servants and they are but stewards. And Paul then goes on to talk to them about this then. If if a man really is a servant, a subordinate, and if a man really is a steward, and if, if that's how he understands himself to be, and if that is how they understand him to be, then they will understand why verse number two, the content of verse number two follows. What do you need in a subordinate? What do you need from a steward? You need them to be reliable. And so moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now that word required, I just kind of find it interesting. It's used well over a hundred times in the New Testament. But it is rarely translated with the English word required. Only twice in the New Testament. Usually it's just translated with this word. A word like this. Desired. Seek. The Lord is seeking for faithful stewards. This is what he is after. Now... I think we would just, by default, folks, just as we read it, would understand that what he needs, who he needs to be faithful to is his master. Right? If he is a subordinate, he answers to somebody else. If he is a steward, he answers to somebody else. The requirement is that he's going to be faithful to his master. Right? It's, right? If, if I just say something like, you need to be a good employee... Right? We don't need to spend a lot of time belaboring the point that you need to be a good employee at your company. It doesn't really matter whether somebody else views you as a good employee. Your boss needs to think of you as a good employee. So it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Right? So Paul is trying to instruct them he is trying to correct their instruction. They are, div- right? It's not just that they are wrong about this, but their error is not a huge deal. They are wrong about this and they're divided over this. The church is at odds with itself over these men. It is treating them like some kind of spiritual celebrity and gathering to that person. And Paul said, that's, that's just not the right way to do this. We're subordinates. We're stewards. <clears throat> and what we need above all things is simply to be faithful to the one who has given us the task. Now, Paul doesn't get into this, folks, in, right in chapter 4, but if you read back through chapter 3 and chapter 2... It's very obvious why the Lord needs us to be faithful. Remember at the beginning of the chapter, or early in the book, Paul talked about the fact that both God's message 
the cross and his methodology, the proclamation of this message, are never going to sound right to worldly, wise, sophisticated people. It's always going to sound hokey and goofy. Right? Well, if we start treating God's servants like they're some kind of spiritual celebrities, and we start thinking that it is somehow in their delivery or style or personality or education that many people come to faith in Christ, then they, everybody will think it is them, but it is never them. And so all the Lord requires is faithfulness. Faithfulness to the message, faithfulness to the method, this is what the Lord seeks. And since this is the orientation that Paul is instructing them in, he just goes on to make this observation in verse number 3. But, and, and, and I, I wouldn't get into a fight about this, I'm not good enough in the languages, but I, I think that we could easily translate the but with a so. Since I'm a subordinate, and all that is really demanded of me is faithfulness to the task, your judgment means very little to me. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. It is the smallest possible thing that you would judge me. That's what Paul's actually saying. It is the smallest possible thing to be judged of you. And he's making the point that it is a small thing if it comes from the Corinthians, church that he started. It is a small thing if it comes from any human or human agency. I think that's what he means there in verse number three. Or of man's judgment. Now again, folks, and right, I, I, I consider myself to be a fundamentalist. But fundamentalism has been terrible in this matter. Because we have applied to so many men for so many years such a worldly standard of measurement. How many people did you baptize? How many people attend your church? How many converts did you win? How many buses do you run? How many sermons have you preached? I mean, there's no end to the kind of idiocy that fundamental Baptist pastors have brought to measure themselves and provide their success in the ministry or demonstrate their success in the ministry. And yet Paul said, you know, it is, the very, it is the smallest possible thing for you to judge me. And it is the smallest possible thing for you to apply any human standard of, judge, to, of judgment to me. And in fact, I don't even judge myself. 
I don't even judge myself. Even though, verse number four, I am not troubled in my conscience by anything I do. We're going to have to explore this a little bit. We're going to take a little bit of time and explore this. But in verse number five, which we will get to, Paul is making a couple of arguments about why they should not make judgment. We can go ahead and read it. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. In verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul is making two points about human judgment. Number one, it is insignificant. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. And the reason that it doesn't count is because it's incomplete. You just don't know enough to make these kind of judgments. You just, we just don't know enough. Oh, he's a great man. We don't really know that yet. We just really don't know that. And so in verse number 5, Paul gives them an instruction, right? Because he is instructing them. Here's how you should think. Here's how you should think about men like me and men like Apollos and ultimately men like Timothy. You should think of us as subordinates and stewards. And you should understand that since we have authority over us, We are striving to be faithful to that authority. That is our mandate. And you need to stop judging, verse number 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time. You need to stop making the kind of judgments that you're making. I just want to pause here for a little bit, folks, because this raises really, if we think about it, I don't want to say a perplexing problem, but a very interesting dimension. In 1 Corinthians 4-5, Paul tells the Corinthians, and of course, therefore, it is extended to us, to stop making judgments. I'm just going to leave it there for now. Stop making judgments. So he's clearly, right, he's talking about judgment. There's, there's no tricky word there. There's, you know, I mean, there's, I'm, I'm not going to go and say, well, the English says judgment, but the Greek doesn't mean not judgment. Judgment means judgment. Now, I'm not going to have you turn to all these passages, but let me just read to you the verses in 1 Corinthians and where Paul uses that same word, judged. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, he says, For I determined, and the word determined in verse 2.2 is the word judged. I made this judgment. Not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul made that judgment. 1 Corinthians 4.5, Stop making judgments. Judge nothing. 1 Corinthians 2.2, I made a judgment. 
1 Corinthians 5.3, For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already. I've made a judgment. I made a judgment, by the way, because you wouldn't make the judgment. I made a judgment. 1 Corinthians 5.12, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? You judge people. We don't judge those that are outsiders. We don't judge unbelievers, but we make judgments about believers. 1 Corinthians 6.1, Dare any of you having a matter against another, our King James Bible reads, go to law, it is the word judgment. First Corinthians six two. Do you not know that saints will judge the world? Which, when I mentioned that I was going to do First Corinthians, somebody said, I'm, "I can't wait till you get to First Corinthians six two. Me neither. I'm, I'm hoping that we're all in heaven listening to Jesus teach it to us. First Corinthians seven thirty seven. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will. And hath so decreed, is our King James Bible, judged. So judged. Or 1 Corinthians 10.15, I speak as to wise men, judge what I say. Or 1 Corinthians 10.29, conscience I say not thine own, but of the other, for why is my liberty judged out of another man's conscience? First Corinthians eleven thirty one and thirty two with reference to the Lord's Supper. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, <clears throat> that we should not be condemned to the world. <clears throat> now, those are the excuse me. <clears throat> those are just the places in First Corinthians where Paul uses the word judgment, where he points out that he makes judgments, <clears throat> decisions, where he criticizes the Corinthians at times for not making decisions where he points out the kind of decisions that are going to be made. And yet here in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, judge nothing before the time. So what is Paul talking about? Well, he's obviously saying nothing, so there's some sense in which he is referring to final judgments, right? I mean, we can... Right? We, we would understand this, folks. We can make judgments, decisions, right? We're, we're having a blizzard. There's an inch of ice on the roads. I don't think I'm going to go to church. I've made a judgment. I'm not going to make the drive. That's not really in the same ballpark as he, he says he's saved, but he's lost, and that's my judgment. <clears throat> so we recognize that there's a wide use of latitude in the words. But, but here's where I think Paul's orientation is. And I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here because I really haven't found anybody who views it through this lens. When we hear the word judgment, like 1 Corinthians 4, 5, we almost automatically default to some form of criticism. We almost automatically defer to some deficiency, right? My judgment is you're not doing it right. My judgment is this is not adequate. My judgment is this is not enough. 
But that is not really the framework and the context in which Paul is using the word. These people are making judgments about who's better. That was the whole point of the division. Paul's better than Apollos. Apollos is better than Paul. Peter's better than them both. Jesus is superior to everybody. So I think that what Paul is doing is trying to get them to stop making those kinds of judgments. Who's the better Christian? Who's the best Christian that you know? Would you go to the mat over it? Would you make it a division over it? Well, here's what the Lord says to you. You don't know. You don't know. You don't have enough information to make that decision. You don't know. And therefore, you need to put an end to that. That kind of stuff. Let's go back to verse number five. Paul argues to them why they must put an end to these kinds of judgments. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. This is not the time for those kind of judgments. There is a time for those kind of judgments, but this is not the time. There are judgments, folks. This, right? When we get into 1 Corinthians 5, we're not very far away from it. Paul is upset at them because it was the time to make a judgment and they wouldn't make it. But this is not the time to make that kind of judgment. And so, therefore, judge nothing before the time. You say, well, when will the time be? Well, when the Lord comes. That's what he says, until the Lord comes. These are judgments that belong to the Lord. Remember? 1 Corinthians 3. Take heed how you build. Take heed how you build. Because you're going to be judged by the Lord. So we can't make these kind of judgments until the Lord comes in to make these kind of judgments. And when the Lord makes judgments, there are things that he knows, right, that are simply, folks, that are simply beyond our human capacity to know about each other. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. There are things in the dark that you just don't know and that I just don't know. And therefore my judgments are deficient because I don't know. And will make manifest the counsels of the heart. So look, folks, right? Let me, let me, just, let me just turn it to me. You can't, you can't judge yet what kind of a pastor I've been. Because you just don't know enough. Because there are things that you don't know. And by the way, if verse number 3 is true, <clears throat> or verse number 4 is true, there are things that I don't know about myself. 
and you don't know what drives me. Now, I've been told on a fairly regular basis that people know what I'm, why I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'm just here to tell you folks that according to 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it's not possible for you to know that. Maybe I am just doing it for the money. You don't know. You just don't know that, do you? That's something that only the Lord knows. Now, as we'll see when we get into this, you can judge the things that I do. You can look at the things that I do and go, Christians shouldn't do that. Or you can look at the things I do and go, Christians ought to do that. But you can't make, you can't put me in any kind of an order about how I would rank as a minister because you just don't have enough information to do that. Right? How many times, folks, have, have we made some kind of a judgment about somebody and then later we find out something and we go, well, I didn't know that. That's the point. Or the greatest mystery of all why do we do the things we do? Why do we do the things we do? And Paul is going, the Lord knows why we do the things we do. And here's one of the reasons, folks, that I would argue that Paul is not thinking about this negatively. The Corinthians will eventually turn on him, but they haven't at this point. And 2 Corinthians is, we've, we've dealt with it, is an extensive kind of a defense, not for Paul's own sake, but for the sake of the ministry of who he is and what he does. But at this point in time, what is disrupting the church is their fight over good men. And Paul's going, you don't know who the best man is yet. You can't, you just can't know that. And then I would argue that Paul is looking at this positively from the way he ends verse number 5, right? Look, here I stand, folks, and there are hidden dark things. You don't know them. I maybe don't know them. And there, then there are the counsels of my heart. Which I think that if we would be completely honest with ourselves, we would recognize that lots of times the purposes of our heart are not singular and pure. They are mixed. I'll tell you this, folks, I have a very, hard, a very hard time separating what I think is good for Westwood Heights Baptist Church from what I think is good for Ken Largent. But you notice the way Paul... So, right, so I might take that. There are things that I don't know. There are things in the darkness. There are purposes that only the Lord knows. And buddy, you're going to get it someday. But that is not what Paul says. He says, then, then shall every man have praise of God. Then, you can, then somebody can really be commended. Right? To go back to the world of fundamentalism, just to talk about how, how many people attended an assembly or how many people you allegedly led to the Lord or how many sermons you allegedly preached. When the Lord shows the things that are unseen and when the Lord exposes the intent of the heart, then somebody who is truly obscure 
to the eyes of most men, might be highly commended by the Lord. Then shall every man have praise of God. So, so just, just a couple of things. Let me just, right? I mean, we, I could probably talk about this for another hour, but, but let me just give you two pieces of pastoral counsel, right? Be very careful, or in the words of 1 Corinthians 4, 5, stop it. Making judgments about human motivations. They are hidden in secret. They are known only to the Lord. As a church, as individuals, we will at times be compelled to make judgments about what people are doing. But we are prohibited from expressing a knowledge of intent we don't know. So there's first piece of pastoral admonition. Second piece of pastoral admonition. Since what is required of stewards, and I would extend the analogy, Paul is getting ready to do that. Right? He's, right? He's, we're not just confining ourselves here to the world of ordained ministers. Right? Do, not be in, do not live your life enslaved to the opinions of others. Do not live your life enslaved to the opinions of others. You answer Os Guinness, a guy by the name of Os Guinness, in one of his books, talked about the fact that we live for an audience of one. And by the way, to those of you who have children, I doubly beg you, do not raise your children under that black cloud. Oh, you can't do that. Other people in the church will be very upset. You will make your children hate the Lord. You will make your children hate the church. You will make your children hate everybody else. That is no, right? Things are either admissible, permissible to the Lord, or they are not permissible to the Lord. And we answer only to the Lord. Or as Paul will put it in 1 Corinthians 10, why should my liberty be judged out of another man's conscience? So do not allow yourself to be enslaved to the judgments of other people. Let the scriptures be your judge. Let your conscience before the Lord be your judge. But do not be enslaved to the, to the opinions of others. Right? We need to, we need to, we need to, th- and I, I don't think for a moment that Paul wasn't periodically stung by the criticisms that came his way. But he was not moved by them. He did not give himself up to them. It is a very light thing to be judged of you. All right, I'm going to stop there this evening.